Hey, y'all. What up, y'all? And welcome to the Birth Squad Podcast. If you've been riding with the squad. Hey, fam. And if you're new. Welcome to the squad. We're your hosts, Dr. Ijama Kwandu and Dr. Kamisha Thomas, two licensed obstetricians and gynecologists, as well as best friends. We use real stories to educate about pregnancy, birth experiences, reproductive health, and all things in between. And while we hope you love learning about our podcast, it is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider for your specific care. So to learn more about us and for more information, please visit our Instagram at the birth squad and our twitter at underscore the birth squad please keep in mind that the following episode may cover topics that could be triggering to some individuals listener discretion is advised excuse me sister 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 (laughs) okay we're gonna stop we're gonna stop okay we're just super (laughs) excited because we are about to meet Oni. She is our next badass birth warrior, and she happens to be my sister. So thank you all for continuing this journey with us at the Birth Squad as we continue to explore pregnancy, labor, delivery, and motherhood. So let's get into it. Hi, we are back with the Birth Squad. I am so excited today to introduce my beloved sister, Oni. I'm just so honored to have you here today. And I really look forward to diving into this conversation in a little bit more depth. Can you kind of introduce yourself to the people? Let us know your age, who you are, your family dynamics. I am 33 years of young, and I am a mom to a beautiful baby boy toddler now and am married to an amazing man so we we are doing the parenting thing together and it's been a hell of a journey i'm a healthcare professional so um, my current role in consulting really is geared towards workforce transformation and employee engagement and i really enjoy that because i think harnessing the power of people is so critical. I, I think my path to motherhood has always been, you know, wanting to start a family. I I mean, to that point, I've always told myself if I met someone who didn't want to have children, that wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. So I think the fact that my husband has always been interested in being a dad was like, okay, like, you know, he seems like he's going to be very involved and invested. So it gave me, um, more, I guess, of a, of a openness or, you know, non, um, I didn't have any, any reservations to, I guess, walk that path. Yeah. I always, I always tell myself at least two years, just me and my partner, and then try to have children. And so that's what we did. We stuck to the plan. (laughs) It was very easy for me to conceive. I mean, I got off of my IUD and I want to say I maybe had one period and then I got pregnant. So, you know, the provider told me as soon as we take this out, be prepared. Like, it's not as if you're going to 
not have a child as soon as you want to it's just you need to be prepared because you can have a kid as soon as you take this out I was like okay it's gonna be at least six months you know my body has to adjust nope I guess how long it took it didn't really take much time so what were your feelings like when you found out you were pregnant where were you so I was actually with you (laughs) yeah it was funny because I was I wanted to take a trip to visit. I don't know what the reason was. I think I just wanted to go visit you in San Francisco when you were living there at the time. And I didn't really have like strong symptoms, but I remember you were driving and I was in the passenger seat and I just felt more car sick than I typically feel when a person drives. It was very, very, very profound. So I was like, okay, this is weird. And maybe I ate something or whatever. And then I know I talked to you a lot. I was like, I think I might be pregnant. Um, I'm pretty confident I am. You know, you're, you just had tests ready to go. So I was like, here, sis, slid it all over. Go ahead and pee on this stick. And I, I, I don't think I really wanted to know. I don't think I took the test the first day I thought. So I think I waited maybe a day or two to like mentally get myself to prepare for the answer that I probably already knew. So when I finally took it, I was like, Ijama, I'm, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I don't remember if I took another one. I think I just took one because it was pretty accurate. It was like a pretty accurate test. So I was like, okay. And then I called my husband. I just recall his reaction of a lot of silence like because I could tell because I called him on video and I could see his face just projecting our entire life and how it was going to change and I could tell he was happy but he was more so thinking of okay now I got to do this now I got to do this now I got to do this I'm like just hello let's bring it back to the moment of the news yeah I mean I was happy it was kind of mixed emotions I was like oh okay I guess this is happening now I wanted at least six months of freedom but okay I guess I'm going through the motion so yeah it was like joyful but also like okay I guess this is what it is as you were projecting and predicting what your birth experience would be like what were your primary goals what did you kind of want out of your birth experience it's an interesting question because all of my appointments, like they didn't really want to have that discussion with me until I was like at a certain stage. Like, so even when I brought it up, I guess, early on, like, oh, what's the process like? They were like, oh, it's too early to talk about that. And in hindsight, I think now it's always like, they want you to always prepare for whatever may not be the best outcome. So like you could, something could happen to your kid, right? God forbid during the, I think they want to, at least reach a safe zone where they feel like, okay, we can have a real conversation about this because your baby has like made it through this zone, right? It's out of the question mark kind of thing, at least for that time period. Because um, as you guys know, having a child is very unpredictable as well. So what does Oni mean when she states that her doctor was waiting until she reached a safe zone? to discuss a birth plan or delivery outcome? Well, what most parents don't realize is that you can have a pregnancy loss or miscarriage at any time. Mm -hmm. And in those circumstances, it's really difficult because if the baby has not developed far enough to survive outside the womb, then there's nothing we can do to save the baby. 
It's only until the baby has reached at least 24 weeks that a high-level facility can actually provide resuscitative measures to save the baby and keep them alive. Yeah. And this, unfortunately, is why doctors like to wait until you reach the late second, early third trimester to start talking about your birth plan. We often have this mentality that we want to take your pregnancy one day at a time. So when I got to that conversation, I think I, I had come to terms at that point that I may or may not have a vaginal birth. And I had told myself to be okay with that. So I think maybe initially before even getting pregnant, I was like, yeah, I'm healthy. I'm obviously going to have a vaginal birth. You know, that's no question. But then, you know, talking to you more and then learning more about just how pregnancy is very much can go left at any moment. I was like, okay, well, ultimately I want to be healthy. I want my baby to be healthy. So it really doesn't matter to me how the baby comes um, and making myself okay with that. So I don't go in with like these expectations. So I talked to them about just leveling those expectations. The option was tossed out that I could schedule my delivery. Me being a planner, um, I was like, oh, great. Like I can schedule the date my child is here, right? So what did you understand about being offered an induction? What were you kind of expecting from that? Based on what was told to me, it was like, this is very normal. People schedule and elect to induce all the time. The outcomes haven't shown anything, I would say, negative. And that there's a chance you could either have a vaginal birth or a C-section, whether you induce your child or not. So I just got the impression that if the child reaches at least 39 weeks, you can schedule your, you know, day. To me, it was like, okay, I assumed everybody would be ripe and like ready where I would be physically ready to have a kid. There wouldn't be any issues with that. But I didn't necessarily go into like some of the challenges, nor was that really a conversation that was really elaborated on either. What Oni is referring to is an induction of labor. This is where we actually help the body go into labor. We can do this electively when you've reached around 39 weeks, but sometimes it's actually offered earlier if there's a medical indication, like having high blood pressure or diabetes in pregnancy. And there's multiple ways that we can help a induction happen, but it really depends on the patient as well as the birth provider who's providing the care. But the key takeaway is that there is great data to show that having an induction does not increase your risk of C-section. Can you say that again one more time, Ijama, for those who didn't hear it? Having an induction does not increase your risk of C-section. So how do we do an induction? Well, uh, there are different medications and procedures that encourage labor. So the one we're going to first talk about is the idea of cervical ripening. This is done by a class of medicines called prostaglandins. And we have two options when we talk about prostaglandins. And what they do is promote a number of changes that lead to cervical softening and increase the number of contractions. Now, when I say cervix, I'm talking about the opening to your uterus. And that's where the baby comes out of. And that's where we're really targeting our interventions. Now, with anything that we do, there are side effects. 
And the side effects of the prostaglandins is that they can maybe cause you to contract too frequently, which is something we monitor you for. Now, there are also very rare side effects that are also associated with these medicines. And those include fever, chills, vomiting, and extremely rare cases, diarrhea. The other cervical ripening option is called a cervical balloon. So that's essentially using a tube that has a balloon at the end, which we fill with water, and it sits at your cervix. What it does is by sitting there, it helps slowly mechanically open the cervix. And so that allows you to get to hopefully at least two to four centimeters. So the side effects of this is as expected because it's helping your cervix open is some bloody show. Which is just really a sign that labor is happening. That's what the bloody show is trying to tell you. Uh, the next option that we talk about is similar to the cervical balloon that um, Ijama mentioned. It's called Dilapam. I like to describe it to my patients like a small skinny version of a tampon. And just like a tampon, when it encounters moisture, it's gonna expand. So what we do is we have you come into the office and or we have you go into labor and delivery and we'll place a certain number in your cervix. A lot of times you can then go home and we can leave that in for anywhere from six to 24 hours. And then when we come, have you come back to remove it, it has congealed together to make your cervix expand. And usually the goal of the dilapan is to get you to five and a half, six centimeters dilated. The last option we'll talk about is called Pitocin. So have y'all ever heard of the love hormone, also mm -hmm. known as oxytocin? So oxytocin is that natural hormone that your body makes that helps you bond. When you're breastfeeding, it helps you feel all those fun feelings of connection. And after sex, it's also increased and helps you feel connected. You know, those soul ties people talk about? Yes. Blame <laughs> oxytocin. Okay. So the synthetic version of that is called pitocin and it is a medication that's used to help your labor progress. It helps you make regular uterine contractions and it helps your cervix dilate. So what are the side effects? Well, we expect it to give you contractions, but sometimes it can give too many contractions. But the good thing is because it's IV, it can be easily controlled as we can turn it off and on as needed. Thank you so much for that thorough description of the love hormone Ijama. Yes. <laughs> now let's get back to Oni as she continues to share her induction with us. From my experience, the challenge of your body not necessarily being ready or, you know, obviously your cervix isn't ready to expand. So for me, it was that challenge. Like I was zero point whatever dilated. Like there was no indication that my son was like ready to come out, right? So it was like almost coming in, just giving the clinicians nothing to work with almost. And that's kind of how I felt while I was like there, like, oh, you know, we got to do all these things just, just to get you to this like place. And I didn't think it was going to take that much effort. Hmm. Oni brings up some really great points. It's important for us to know that induction can definitely take time. I always tell my patients, expect that an induction can take one to three days minimum. Okay. So I know you're probably looking at me crazy. Like why the hell would I say something crazy like that? Well, to deliver a baby, you have to be dilated 10 centimeters. 
when you come in to deliver, we would love if you were in spontaneous labor or you had broken your bag of water because the labor process will likely be shorter. When you come in for an induction, the process largely depends on what your exam is when we start. If you're not dilated at all, then you can imagine it's going to take more effort and longer to get you to the same place as the person who came into labor spontaneously. Now let's get back to Oni on her labor experience, but please be advised that this can be triggering for people who have experienced labor and birth. We definitely recognize and understand the significance of birth trauma. So tell me about it. So you arrived at the hospital and kind of walk me through the steps of what happened. I remember, you know, them coming into the office, um, either doing the balloon first or giving me Pitocin first. I don't remember which one came first, but the balloon did not work in addition to them not. And then, you know, they come and check you every single time to see if they're like interventions are helping you progress. I was never progressing. So I got tired of them checking because I was like, okay, clearly something's not working because all of these tools you guys are using are like not to the slightest bit working on me. So I don't know if it's me. I don't know if you guys are not doing it correctly in terms of the steps, but you know, we've, we've reached so many hours where at this point I thought I would have at least been, you know, four or five, you know? So, I mean, maybe I was naive. Obviously it was my first time. I thought, honestly, this entire process would take 10 hours. I was just like, okay, I'll be, I'll be out in a day. Cause I'm like, I have a relatively high pain tolerance. I feel like, you know, I'm pretty strong. I, I literally exercised my entire pregnancy. I'll be able to push, you know, as long as I'm progressing, that part shouldn't be an issue, right? But as like the 20th plus hour came in, I was there and that, I was just like, no progress. Like, how am I here for 20 plus hours and nothing has changed? Like, absolutely nothing has changed. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I guess people take two days to have a baby, right? Like that's not necessarily uncommon, but mind you, I couldn't eat anything. <laughs> and they were like very strict about that. So it was just hard for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So now let's take, go to the moment where they've tried all the things and now you're noticing that there's a shift or a change in the uh, direction of where things are going. What, what was happening in that moment? How are you feeling? Yeah, um, to be honest, I was literally moving as much as I could, doing squats up until the point where they said, you know, we're gonna break your water. And, you know, at a certain point, I don't remember if they gave me the um, epi before or after they broke my water, but they basically said, once we do this, we basically have to be prepared, you know? So um, at that point, I no longer was able to like move um, and just try to activate my child coming down as naturally as possible. The amniotic sac or water that surrounds your baby acts like a skin barrier. It protects you and the baby from infection. So when it breaks, whether spontaneously or artificially, it can put you at an increased risk for infection. 
So some of you might be looking at us again, crazy, wondering why would your OBGYN or your midwife then go ahead and break your water, knowing that it protects you and your baby from infection? Well, the simple answer is that it also helps your labor progress. So it's a double-edged sword. We need it to help your labor progress, but we also understand that it does protect you from infection. So, but there are things that we can do to help limit the risk of infection, such as reducing the number of times we have to check your cervix. So I guess fast forward a little bit, we were reaching like the 40th something hour. And that's when like a bunch of them came to the room, you know, looking all defeated <laughs> and we're like, you know, we broke your water. We did all these things. You did it as this basically telling me that they were exhausted, right? In so little words and saying, you know, we can keep going if you want to, but the likelihood is basically no change will happen. Because at that point I was still like three point something. I was barely four. And this is like 40 something hours. So I'm fatigued, I'm tired. And, you know, they're dropping hints like, you know, there's risk associated with continuous weight. They were just telling me that my, my kid was exposed now to stuff now that they broke the water and putting him through more exposure wasn't necessarily the best for him now that they broke the water and that my temperature was increasing and it wasn't showing any signs of decreasing. So they were like, you know, we, we're going to do what you want to do, but we ultimately are leaning you towards going to get a C-section. What were your feelings in that moment when they're explaining this to you? Like now's the moment they're saying, we think yeah. you need a C-section. So I remember, you know, just talking to you, wanting you to talk to the provider, at least to at least give me some additional feedback, right? And after you spoke to them and spoke to me, I think I ultimately was like, looked at my husband and we both, you know, we, we had to talk it through together. I think we, you know, we asked people to like go and we had a conversation and he was, he was really wanting to do whatever I wanted to do. He didn't have any, he didn't have an opinion other than he wants to do what's best for me. And I wanted to do what was best for my baby. So it was at that point, the fact, I think that they told me I'm putting him at risk was the part that scared me and was like, well, I don't want him to be at more risk just because I could have a vaginal birth in 10 hours or 12 hours. Right. And it'd be cool. But the risk, like, am I wanting to take that risk? I wasn't sure I was hundred percent comfortable with that. So that was ultimately why I opted for the C-section because I was looking at it from a risk probability. We as providers never want you to feel scared or coerced into a decision. If that has occurred, then we have not done justice by you. You and your child's health is a collaborative effort. We want to come to a decision in both your interests, which is what makes our specialty so unique. So don't settle for less. I'm going to say that again. Do not settle for less. Each and every one of you deserves to have your concerns met and your questions answered. Now let's see how Oni's experience concludes. So now you've decided that you're gonna have a C-section. Do you kind of remember anything about the preparation? 
And then also how you were feeling as you're being rolled down to the operating room. I just remember them talking to me about process, telling me about what what could happen. I remember having a black doctor and she was pregnant, but I had never met this specific provider during my clinical routines or whatever. But I was extremely relieved that she was the one that was going to do it. And the fact that she was also pregnant was like, okay, this is going to be her on the table. Like she's going to take care of me the way she would take care of herself. And I think that also gave me comfort. You know, they were talking to me about the logistical pieces of it, the operations, the anesthesiologist, all that stuff. But all I really cared about was the fact that she was Black. I was like, I'm good. Like, I just felt at ease. There was less anxiety because of that. And then when I got in the room and I saw more people of color, my anesthetist was also Black. It also gave me more comfort. So I guess my fears of dying in this process was like a little bit, alleviated by the fact that I saw people who look like me and I think took the time to make me feel as comfortable as possible I feel like I was almost at peace with just knowing she was a black woman and also with child so what were you expecting the c-section to be like versus what it was actually like my expectations of a c-section were really nothing other than maybe what I've seen on Grey's Anatomy or something like that. You know, I, I knew they would cut you open in an area near your like vagina and the child would come out. I, I mean, other than that, I wasn't really concerned about like anything else, the scarring or how they put you back together. But I remember there being a shield of some sort between me and my stomach. I only got to see a picture after because my husband took photos <laughs> of the, the room and I couldn't believe how white my inside was and like white and red. And I was like, so confused like that. Oh, that's me. That's what I look like inside. So I didn't see anything. I'm not really one that enjoys blood or anything. I probably would have felt very uncomfortable having any glimpse of anything that they were doing there. I just remember when my son came, I think I asked him, am I going to live? Like, I was just like, okay, he's good. Now what about me? <laughs> like I was concerned if I was okay. So in that moment, do you feel like you were having a sense of joy, anxiety, all the above? I think I was relieved that he was finally out right like I was just like okay you have made it to the other side you have made it to planet earth welcome now I want to live to be able to raise you now my thought is I can be a little bit more selfish about my health while they were working on him you know seeing if he was okay my thought went to me, but then the nurses started hovering over there in like what seemed to be a little panic. So I was telling my husband to check like what is happening over there. And then they were telling me, they brought him to me quickly to just kind of like get a glimpse of him. And then they sent him off. So I was like 
telling my husband to go with them. Like, I was just like, go, go, you know, like my joy was quickly changed to fear in a matter of moments. Yeah. Now, what only experience can happen during a vaginal delivery or a C-section? Essentially, if the baby struggles to breathe or has a fever or can't keep its heart rate up, then the pediatricians may need to provide some assistance and the baby may need to go to the NICU. If that's the case, you may not have the chance to hold your baby immediately after delivery as it's getting emergency care. So it sounds like things obviously pivoted from what you initially thought would be your plan. Looking back overall, how do you feel about your outcome, your experience? Yeah, I think my plan going in was ultimately to be open to whatever plan made the most sense. So that ultimately was my plan. And I think that's ultimately what happened was like, I was put in a place, a position where I had decisions to make in a very short period of time. And I had to be flexible and content with whatever was the best outcome. So I think going back to that train of thought gives me peace and being able to almost like prep myself for a C-section or a vaginal birth was ultimately, I think, why I don't like really have any negative outlook about my experience because my child is here, he's healthy, and that's what I care about. When I talk to my aunts and most of them have had, you know, vaginal births, they're also African. I feel like there's almost like this, there's almost like this response when they do find out or they know I had a C-section almost like, oh, you chose that or like they feel bad. Like I didn't get to have this full womanhood experience. (laughs) But I also discovered in that, that I have cousins and who, who have had a C-section and never knew that. And so for me, I'm like, okay, they're amazing moms. You know, I don't, I don't feel like they're any less of a mom. So ultimately what does it matter? You know, I don't necessarily like tell everybody I had a, you know, a C-section. Typically you have these conversations with people who are of similar walks as you, you know, they have kids. We talk about what happened or what didn't happen, things like that. But I think it's important for people to have conversations about C-sections a little bit more during their like clinical visits, because I think most people want to have a vaginal birth and go in thinking that they have going to have a vaginal birth. But I think that providers should do more or encourage more of a conversation about like, you know, yeah, that's great that you want to have a vaginal birth, but I definitely want you to know that if you don't, that's okay too. You know, I think that's important to hear very early so you can be okay when you get there. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. I think the default is, oh, it's going to be vaginal delivery. Unless there's some other medical indication, then that counseling really comes out. I think that is a great point that it needs to be talked about more so it's not stigmatized. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think it's more like a self stigma. I don't even think there's like this, at least for me, I don't think like society is saying C sections are bad. I think people are telling themselves that they're not earning some badge of honor to be a mom if they don't have a vaginal birth. And I think that internal pressure uh, needs to be kind of like discussed more because I don't necessarily think society is putting that on us. I think we're doing it to ourselves because of maybe we just know people who have had vaginal births. Like most of us are products of vaginal births. Um, But even now that I'm pregnant again, my first clinical visits, I remember the nurse said, oh, you're a perfect candidate for, for a vaginal birth. And I'm like, how does she know I want to have a vaginal birth, you know? And like, how does she know I'm going to have a vaginal birth just because I'm a perfect candidate? I think while I am a candidate for it, we should still have a conversation about what if I don't have one, you know, even if I'm the perfect candidate, (laughs) that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. What Oni just said was so powerful. If you have a cesarean section, it's okay. We as a community need to learn how to celebrate all deliveries. What matters most is a healthy mom and a healthy baby. I know I sound like a broken record, y'all, but I'm going to say it again. What matters most is a healthy mom and a healthy baby. That is success. That is what is important. So you bring up a good point now um, about a vaginal birth after cesarean delivery. Is that something you would consider? And if so, why? And what things also concern you? Yeah, I'm currently pregnant. I'm like 21 weeks and some change. I'm going to, again, go about this second pregnancy the same way I went to the first. I would like, again, to have a vaginal birth, but I'm perfectly okay if I don't have a vaginal birth. And to be honest, I probably feel a little bit more comfort in knowing that I've already had a C-section. I know what that looks like. (laughs) I do not know what a vaginal um, birth looks like. So that to me is unfamiliar territory, even though, you know, I, I, I hear the healing process is better, faster, whatever, which is great. My healing process to me wasn't all that terrible. I think the things that I've heard that scare me is like, you know, vaginal tearing, which is very common. So it kind of is what it is. I think that maybe providers could say, at least maybe open up the conversation of like, would you like to hear some of the, you know, rare concerns or challenges that happen during the birth, um, just as an option, just to understand them. Um, it's not that they happen often, but if you would like to talk about them, I'm happy to talk to you about them. Right. And that person can either say, no, I'm okay. Or yeah. Can you like talk to me more about, you know, this, right. I totally agree with Oni. Education is key. However, it's also important to consider where your source is. Some people look to the blogs, to YouTube, to Instagram, or TikTok as their source. But it's always important to share whatever information you learned with your provider so you can have a fact check. Because let me tell y'all, context is important. Context is key, y'all. Okay. One more time for the people in the back. Context is (laughs) important. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because let me tell you, the celebrity who may have had a vaginal breach delivery or a twin delivery at home, isn't going to tell you all the details about their health experience. 
or the celebrity who maybe had a uh, first delivery or first pregnancy at 53 years old, is it going to tell you that mm, that was a donor egg, donor sperm, surrogate, all of the above? Mm-mm. Nor are they going to provide you with a step-by-step guide for how they were able to afford or facilitate that experience. So in terms of when you did have your C-section, after you had your C-section, what was your recovery like? Yeah. So I stayed in the hospital for three days. From a physical standpoint, for me, I felt fine, to be honest. Like the nurse was always asking me, what's my pain level? I was always at zero or one. And I felt like I was comfortable to walk and go to the bathroom by myself and all that. I did. And then what are some things that kind of surprised you about the recovery? I feel like my C-section scar was like, you know, very thick at first. And I was like, oh, is this going to leave a huge scar? I hope I don't keloid. Like, but surprisingly, it really is a very tiny line. Like it, it's, I've, I've actually healed very well. I honestly forget that it's there. It's not obvious at all. So if you could go back in time and talk to your past self, what advice would you give her? I think I would tell her to be more vocal in the, I mean, even though I feel it's not on the patient to really go toe in toe with their provider because we go in there with giving this provider so much trust. But I think to just ask questions, even if you think they're stupid questions, or even if you ask another person, you just want confirmation about it, right? Or you want to hear what they have to say about the issue take more of a, I guess, an active role in it. Everybody's journey into pregnancy, into motherhood is very, very unique. I think just from a wellness public health perspective, just a person who appreciates fitness, I was very active and I'm, I'm, I'm still active. And so I think if I could just encourage others to be active, like I'm always trying to encourage healthy lifestyle. And I, I don't think that playing it safe in terms of activities that that will make you feel good. It's so important to me to live healthy. I, I just want to throw that out there. Well, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your story. Absolutely. And all of your pearls. Uh, we really appreciate it. And thank you for being here and part of our squad. Yeah, I'm so happy I could be part of the squad. I think this is amazing because we we need spaces to hear from people who have gone through similar experiences, but also the expertise that comes. So I think that it's so important for people of color, particularly Black women, to know that they have a resource that can really help them through the process. Thank you. Thank you, Oni. We have learned so much from our guest speakers, and Oni especially has taught us that C-section is a path towards parenthood for many of us, and that is more than okay. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We're going to continue sharing stories from badass birth warriors, because at the end of the day, you are the experts. Well, y'all, thank you for listening to The Birth Squad. Remember as you navigate your healthcare journey that you are beautiful, you are brilliant, and you are brave. We at The Birth Squad would love to hear more from you. Tell us what topics you'd want to hear more about. Hit us up on Instagram, at The Birth Squad, and on Twitter, 
at underscore the birth squad. Most important, make sure to share this episode with your squad. Until next time, I'm Dr. Ijama Okwandu. And I'm Dr. Kamisha Thomas. Peace, love, and solidarity from the birth squad. Check out the comment section for the definitions and for more information about the terms and concepts that were mentioned today.